there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and I am joined today by my two buddies. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Bottom of the table, Dan Crook. Wow, what a great way to start things off. <laughs> just gone and piss me off for the next hour. <laughs> hey, you got Cameron Carter's Vickers. You guys will just rock it right back up into safety, correct? I mean, if he ever gets on the pitch, maybe, you know, but we've got really, we've actually got good defenders. We just can't score. Well, maybe he can head a few in for you. And uh, our leader, founder, and editor of thirddegree.net and the best, most reliable source for independent news and information about your favorite soccer club, Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from Chula Vista, California, which is kind of lame since the team is in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're not actually there. We know that. No, like you're, yeah. you're not on the road trip this year. So, no, no. Um, so now we're all left to read reports that come directly from the club itself. Yeah, I mean, they're putting out some information. Uh, obviously, it's a very positive, very pro team. Yay, go team. But, um, you know, at least it's better than a complete blackout. But it's not as good as I think it's not as good as if I was there providing impartial coverage. But, you know. Oh, maybe well, next year. Maybe someday. All right, yep. so I have been provided a run sheet of topics by Buzz, and I'm already mm. calling an audible because I'm moving to the top. The only thing out of all of this stuff that really matters worth a squat, and that is the 25th anniversary Major League Soccer jersey reveal. Dun-dun-dun. Uh, so last night, the reveal happened. It was super, uh, you know... Meh, only from the fact that we have all seen these jerseys now for the better part of, what, a week? Was it a week ago the leak happened? Yeah, a week and a half maybe. So uh, yeah. actually seeing uh, people of various levels of internet fame uh, walk down the catwalk and show off the new kits was uh, a bit of, uh, uh, you know, let down. I wouldn't call it a letdown. It just wasn't a, as big a deal as everybody wanted it to be, but... Uh, we'll start off by getting uh, Buzz's reaction. Buzz, are you feeling uh, happy with all the results, maybe specifically about Dallas and then moving on to the other clubs? Uh, sure. I, I actually quite like the Dallas one, which is rare uh, in the last few versions of jerseys. Um, I think the execution could have been a tiny bit better. I mean, I think when the one the one that we had done when we were guessing that Dan did, I thought with, with the cuffs and the little white stripe, I thought was better, but you know, as far as Dexy Dallas goes in terms of executing kits, I think this one's pretty good. Um, it's a, I'm really excited Hoops is back. I'd prefer white shorts, but then I'm a big white shorts fan. So um, overall, really positive FC Dallas-wise, other than the Avocare. Can we uh, all find some sort of weird shared uh, agreement over the term of uh, use of the term Hoops as it applies to this particular and previous designs? Like... Are we all just yeah. are we all just like throwing our hands up in the air and going okay okay they're hoops we don't know what else to call them or yeah. do we really feel like they are hoops? Well, uh, they're, they're as much hoops as you're ever going to get anymore in this era of number backplates. Um, you know, even teams that are historically famous for wearing hoops forever are now stuck with backplates and can only wear like a real complete hoop in like a cup competition or something when you see them rolled out for like one game. So well, I, I mean. But- I, 
Uh, but yeah. I'm going to, but Dan, when Watford had a similar type design to this and Manchester United had somewhat of a similar design to this, they didn't call these hoops, probably not just because they didn't go around the back, but hoops by nature have to start at the top and work their way to the bottom, not start somewhere just below your boobies and then highlight your belly, right? I mean, they should, but, you know, a hoop by definition on a jersey is any horizontal striping. So uh, from the magical land of football that you come from, would you call these hooped jerseys? Yes. Really? Whereas the Man United one would be more of a gradient because they were, you know, they were just so concentrated. It It was clearly just a red to black fade. Would you have called the previous Watford jerseys hooped? No, because they were vertical stripes. No, no, no. The one they wore in, I think, fifteen, sixteen. They were horizontal, and it started about the same spot. There was more of them than in the, in the current Dallas shirt, but it was more like the United one, but maybe not as gradient-like. I, I know you hate no Watford, so what... I'm going to take everything you say about this with a grain of salt. Hold on. Let me do some... I think it was the 2015-2016, and while you look that up, I will uh, go back. So here, you know, as I look through all the shirts, the other thing I want everybody to help me understand is when I read through all the press material about all of these shirts and then the unifying design piece that they added into these, which is the three thick stripes on the right shoulder— that's an that's a design element from Adidas 1992. Can somebody explain to me how this is being tied to the 25th anniversary of Major League Soccer? Because that's the piece I can't figure out how the league and Adidas are putting those two things together. Uh, that's a good question. Um, from the, the piece I read on The Athletic, it sounded like Adidas basically dictated to MLS, this three-stripe is going to be on the jersey, period. It's non-negotiable. So for some reason, Adidas this has decided that this throwback three stripes on the shoulder thing is important to them this year. So maybe we're going to see it some other places. I, I don't I don't know um, why they have decided that that has to do with this. The only connection I can possibly think of is that... Um, as part of the World Cup agreement in 1994, U.S. soccer agreed to launch or help facilitate the launch of a pro league, and that league is Major League Soccer. But it was supposed to happen in 92 before the World Cup uh, and didn't happen until 96 because of reasons and money. So, I mean, it's a stretch. <laughs> that's that somehow a stretch, those yeah. <laughs> two things. I mean, you know, that's the only thing I could think of that had to do with the early 90s because it wasn't by 94, the U.S. wasn't wearing those uh, over the shoulders for Adidas anymore. Um, it was like that was like ninety two, ninety three. So, yeah. so um, they I mean, did actually keep that white one as a th- as a third jersey. Um, yeah, through ninety four. Um, I, I mean, a big thing is right. they use those stripes a lot in rugby. Um, Adidas for, does. Yes. Ah. So it's all the same. It's the same application in rugby. It's on both shoulders though, um, and quite simply, you know competition rules in most countries and and with uefa and fifa competitions they that doesn't fly mls they can do it so it's kind of like they're hey we want to throw out a design element we can use um the the these stripes unite us thing did did show that uh 92 jersey that sort of went as a de facto third in in 94 as part of it but 
Yeah, I, look, I'm not I'm not trying to make a statement on whether or not this design element is good or bad. And I and frankly, I think it varies from Jersey to Jersey. And I'm not a big fan of it on the Dallas one in particular. But I, I just I can't quite figure out how Adidas and Major League Soccer somehow spun this into um, into uh, into being an identifying mark for the 25th anniversary. Uh, that's the part I can't figure out. I was thinking there was probably some better design element they could have come up with that would have made more sense. Yeah. But I was hoping maybe one of you two guys had heard or read or seen something that would explain uh, how they tied that together. But Well, this is one of those things to me that's reverse engineered where it's like Adidas decided we're doing this period and then they were like, okay, how can we sell it? Uh, like they do a lot of times with yeah. jerseys when they come up with some cool thing, uh, like even last year's white jersey, when they came up with that pattern, they go, oh, it kind of looks vaguely like Reunion Arena. Let's call it the Reunion jersey. And we're mm. like, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I think. Is this just, they, just, they just decided they wanted to do it. All right, whatever. Uh, I mean, you, MLS has no power. So That reminds me of the old... Um of the of the bit we came up with last year with the blinking led uh, yeah. <laughs> kit <laughs> before that one was announced the uh the, the led kit that would have been awesome god i love well, that, that that's one of the interesting stories this week was the story about from with kevin payne talking about the first dc united jersey where um originally they were uh being assigned to nike and the nike was going to told them that they were going to be the revolution he was like no <laughs> and it's like we, we've talked lots of times about how the original especially the nike ones the nike branding in 96 nike picked the team colors they picked the logos they picked the names they picked the branding for those nike teams nobody at mls did that none of the owners did that it was only dc's only any good because kevin payne refused to do it and switched manufacturers yeah so. i i would say there has been an absolute uh wonderful flow of uh, great 25th anniversary articles and stories that have come out in the last few weeks pablo maro in particular had a great story recently uh tied to all of this uh that i thought was insightful and uh, and a great read uh the article the other day uh, re- uh tied to who was it uh uh, around the jerseys was uh, these 25th anniversary jerseys was also uh, uh, really interesting. So uh, my big winner out of the group, and I'll start uh, for me is the Minnesota United jersey, just simply because it returns that beautiful wing design that I love so much from their old NSAL days uh, before they joined uh, Major League Soccer. I, that to me is the winner out of the group. Buzz. Well, you're going to think I'm crazy, but um, my actual favorite is the Colorado Rapids one. I know that's probably no. surprising, but I, I, I love that maroon color. I like the strapping they put in it. I like the fact that they've kept the shorts of a different color, the, 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 the what is it, cobalt the color they call that or whatever. Oh, did they go with the light blue shorts? Yeah, the short, well, at least they did in the de- debuts they showed, which hmm. is something they've been doing in the last year or two. So I, I, I think the way I judge kits is the from on high complete kit look like from the top of the stands. And to me, they're the only ones with that color. It's a great looking jersey by itself, and it's a great complete kit with the different color shorts. Yeah, so that's I, my big winner. I'm not surprised by that. I actually that's probably one of my top three because it's just a it's a simple, good, clean design. I I actually really yes. liked it. Dan, what about yep. you? Well, uh, Minnesota definitely is, is definitely one of the better ones. I did see the replica version at Soccer 90 yesterday, and it is not that impressive. Uh, I don't know if maybe it's a bit more faint on the uh, on the replica, but the the loon wing didn't really stick out the same way it does when you see the at least the the images of the uh, 
the authentic and uh, obviously the NASL jerseys. Um, okay. Honestly, uh, I, th- I think FC Dallas definitely got the far better end of the deal than most. Um, other than that, uh, the Cincinnati jersey, which you know from those those first uh, mockups and, and and concept drawings that people leaked, looked absolute trash, and uh, it, it, I think it looks it looks really nice. It looks it it looks clean, but not one of those boring white shirts. My runner-up is the Red Bulls, uh, black and red, really sharp and dark, and the red's really bright and vibrant. Okay, that's, uh, that's interesting. I I was a little put off by that kit because the Red Bull logo is so giant and gaudy-looking mm. in that design. That? But yeah. when when I saw their promo video and they called it dark mode, I suddenly decided yeah. I liked it. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites because it is so uh i hate i hate using the word clean but in that case it's straight black with the straight bright red and it really shows well and like even like the billboard the huge billboard in times square it looks fantastic so that's my runner-up all right so the other thing i haven't really heard a lot of people talk about this but i i noticed it in some high resolution photos uh when the leak started to happen Uh, my second favorite shirt believe it or not may be the new portland away jersey which is a white shirt, but if you haven't seen it in its full detail, it's got a really kick-ass set of horizontal hoops that are in a wood grain design that I think looks really sharp. Yeah, that would be my that that jersey in FC Dallas colors would be the jersey I would pick in a in a world where you have to be white. That's the jersey I would pick for FC Dallas. Well, I particularly like it because of the tie to timbers and the tree stuff with the wood grain pattern and that that makes up the actual oh. hoop. I don't have you not seen I that? See, no, I, I now I see the wood grain up close. I hadn't noticed that. Part. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's a very very subtle effect, but it's I think it's it's kick ass. So. Uh, Dan, you've seen them in person. You're the only one of the three that actually has seen it in person before we get away from Kit Talk, which is my favorite segment we'll ever do ever, uh, is the FC Dallas shirt. I believe you bought one. Why don't you give everybody the lowdown on, on what you think and and some of the additional details about them? Well, it's red. <laughs> breaking you know actually in fairness that's not an unfair comment because i can't tell you how many times i've seen the league the team and other people publish photos with some bizarre filter on it that makes them almost look orange uh, the initial leaks actually look pink um i did actually i just pulled it out of my closet a little while ago and uh, i didn't buy the last jersey because it was crap um but the two before it are far darker than the new one so it's actually it is a different red. Yeah, it's a much lighter red. Is it really? So, Bummer. Is it more of a cherry red than a tomato red? Let me just hold it up next to this. Well, Coke it's a podcast. Nobody can see it, Dan. It's like it's like the same sort of red as a Coke can. It's you know they used to have that darker red. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they've gone back to more of a hmm. just a yeah bright red. I miss the darker um, red. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, definitely reserve judgment to see it in person. The, uh, the, the collar and the cuffs and the, and the, the Adidas stripes look so much better on the authentic. They look kind of goofy like an American football jersey um, on the replica. Um, that honeycomb texture looks really cool. Uh, yes, it's just 
it's good. It's There's great. a significant set of differences between the lesser expensive replica and the vastly more expensive authentic, correct? Yes. So the authentic has this tailored cut. You kind of see this swoop, uh, swoop design. It has that honeycomb like watermark on the on fabric. Um, where it's it a better the, material. Yeah, it's the aero ready professional level whatever. Uh, the back is got sweat wicking material. Yeah, the the back is like covered in little the tiny little holes to make it breathable. That's the reason that they don't have the hoops going the whole way around. Uh, primarily, mm-hmm. uh, the logos are like rubberized. Uh, yeah, I think that's sharp sounding. The Texas flag on the back's actually got a 3D star, which is kind of cool. And then it's got the Lamar Hunt thing and that little white band inside where it has the founding club and the nine stars to represent the nine remaining teams. Poor Tampa. <laughs> Anyone that's been to Tampa doesn't doesn't feel sorry for Tampa. Uh, yeah, then... Um, what else is there? Yeah, one thing that is missing that's kind of different this year is they're not putting the league patches on by default. Um, previously, the the replica would have uh, like a embroidered patch on the left sleeve, and then the the authentic would have patches on both sleeves, whether it's the Lamar Hunt one and uh, and an MLS one or not. But they're uh, they're making it more like the European jerseys, where you have to buy them separately, so they're seven dollars each. Mm. Um, FC Dallas, I did find out that FC Dallas will wear patches on both sleeves uh because that is a league requirement until if you, you don't have a sponsor. sponsor okay yeah right Interesting. and then the other reason they wanted to do it this year is because everyone's wearing a different patch this year than they will be next year so you know why do you want to do it in production all right so that leads me to the question avocare i th- we're all pretty much in agreement that this is the last year they're going to sponsor the shirts correct funny well, story I about think that. so yeah okay the deal expires. Um, normally Normally, the jerseys have the sponsor sublimated on the Authentics, or at least the last several versions. Right. And they're not. They're screen printed on. Is it really? So it could be taken off. It could be covered over next year. It doesn't have to be there. Wait a second. When you say it's screen printed or it's heat transferred? Sorry, heat transferred, not screen printed. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty big indicator. But I also noticed that the Red Bulls jersey is because the, the Red Bull logo is super shiny. Hmm. Interesting. So maybe that's just something they're going back to now. And uh, all of the pictures ended up uh, breaking our hearts, although I have to admit it doesn't look bad, with navy blue shorts with the red socks, despite the fact that we saw some white shorts being worn in the media day uh, stuff. Are we under the impression that essentially the club can pick and choose between the blue and white uh, on a a game-by-game basis? Well, they probably can, but um, the the release material specifically says that they'll always wear blue shorts with it. So uh, unless there's some combo on the road where they can wear red, and then for some reason they have to wear the the home teams wear blue shorts too, and so they have to change, I suppose, to white. Maybe maybe that's possible, but I, I would I would think that you won't see the white shorts on with the red kits, except for maybe with the academy, because for some reason the academy always wears white shorts okay. with the FC Dallas kits for some reason. They had the uh, like a, a teaser in FIFA because for the first time the FIFA video game is going to update the FIFA kits prior to the start of the MLS season where it's you know completely out of whack with the games. Uh, so they actually showed some blue alternate shorts, uh, some socks, sorry, uh, blue with white hoops. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, in the game, yeah, the blue blue, blue shorts, blue socks, right? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. 
then the other reveal this week, uh, Nike blew everybody out of the water with a whole new set of designs for three countries, one of which being the United States, which probably got the most tame of the three pairs of designs, South Korea uh, getting uh, two in particular wacky designs, and Nigeria getting another really interesting new home kit, and, a, and then a more tame uh, away kit. You know, the U.S. kit, again, goes through a, a, a rather dramatic change uh, from what we have had over the last few years. The white shirt being more of a very crisp, clean, uh, white design. The blue one is navy blue with some trim and colors on the, on the collar and the cuffs. Uh, and then the only way I can describe it is a pattern in it that I think looks like a sweat stain. That's the only thing I can't yeah. figure out. But uh, any reactions to those kits? Well, my biggest complaint about the U.S. kits is that if you if you look at all the U.S. kits going way back in the grand scheme of things, the home primary kit is solid white, you know, with trims or colors or slashes or whatever thrown in. But generally speaking, it's solid white. And the way kid is generally speaking solid dark blue. So, you know, that's what I want them to stick with in a grand picture. I don't mind like an occasional stripe, an occasional hoop, whatever, as long as it's mostly white all the time. And this one, again, has got a white jersey with blue shorts. So it's like, I, I know they do that every once in a while, but like in the grand scheme of things, stop changing it up. It's like we don't have a kit identity. Like when you see Germany or do you see Italy or you see Holland, you instantly know who they are. When you see the United States, other than the fact it's red, white, and blue, it could be one of like thirty countries. Yeah, but every so that's time, what but me. but when they anoint, when they generally debut a new white shirt for the United States, nine times yeah. out of ten they show it with navy shorts. But then when they come to play games, they end up playing in all white. Oh, do they? I just I, sometimes I, I can't keep up with all the different releases. I just like you know to me they showed the like here's the new uniforms and it was a white jersey with blue shorts and I'm like well. Uh, Okay, I guess we're changing again. So. I'm going to say this, and I know somebody's going to uh, tweet out that I'm an idiot and remind me very quickly how wrong I am in this, but I'm pretty sure the last several times they've worn the white shirt, it's it's come with white shorts as well. I can't even recall the last time they wore white right. with, a, with whatever color shorts. Well, they did in the World Cup once. I remember, I think it was like one of the... Yeah, you know how long World ago Cups that was, back, though, Buzz? But... Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree with you that generally speaking, it should be solid white. That's why this image threw me off. And I'm yeah. like, are we changing again? So that's why that's my complaint is the inconsistency with the United States and their jersey branding as a, as a, as a concept, not as the small execution of the jersey. You know. It's, so, Dan, I don't know if you happen to see the tweet that was published uh, by, I presume, is the director of design for soccer for Nike who insisted that nobody has templates anymore and that basically all countries are now working off, you know, uh, a very, very, uh, I'm going to say free design theory. Uh, and so maybe that's, and that's kind of why these first three nation kits that came out are so drastically different from each other. Are you having any hope that maybe moving forward, we're going to see even better stuff from Nike for the next few years? Well, the Brazil away, uh, sorry, the, the new Brazil jersey is, basically the same as the Nigeria away just with a different pattern so that's not accurate um what do you mean they, it's not accurate well they they do have templates it's just part and parcel of it they have templates for fabric cuts and and certain design elements ah. um so all the jerseys now all the Nike jerseys this year have this terrible looking pattern that looks like it's been eaten by termites um on the shoulders <laughs> 
Uh, and if you want to say, you know, if they want to say that they don't have templates anymore, they just released the uh, white jersey for the men's that looks like one of those crappy T-shirt versions of jerseys of the women's jersey. Okay. They just took the women's jersey and made it worse. So she lied, is what you're saying. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd call it spin. Okay. You know, same way, you know, we can see across MLS. Right. There are definitely templates. Okay. Any more kit talk? Any Anything else kit talk-wise we need to uh, get out of our systems? I feel, I feel pretty oh, cleansed. There was something funny in MLS. Uh, so Chicago was the only team that escaped the uh, shoulder stripes. Um, they did have a kit that was made up for them. Uh, it was red. They went, hey, yeah, we rebrand him. We want blue. And Adidas basically said, screw you, order off of my team. The, uh, you know, yeah, where they had, you would buy your pub team. Yeah, they essentially have um, uh, Wolves away jersey except in blue. So... Adidas didn't even take the my team create your own jersey neck tape out of it. So like if you look at the DBG jerseys from the last couple of years which were made through my team, they were custom but you know through that service they have this whole create your own jersey at uh, myteam.adidas.com or whatever it is. And the Chicago jerseys that the players are going to wear and are going to go on sale have that in. Hmm. That's uh it's actually not a bad-looking shirt, though. I think it looks fine. They're getting a new logo already. Did you see that? Their owner said they're going to redo do it. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that crappy one just brings the whole thing down. Well, I think it's funny that they're going to do another new one. Just go back to the old one, which is what Well, maybe wants. they will. I think that's kind of the message I got was is that, you know, hey, we're listening to you. And then, of course, everybody complained that now they're changing it again. So, so you know. this is That's exactly <laughs> what happened at Luton like 10, 15 years ago. A new owner came in, did a lot of terrible things, decided to change the logo. He got kicked out. Uh, some fans brought the team and said, "Hey, we're gonna do the, we're gonna redo the logo." They just basically modernized the the previous logo. So I mean, that will all be it. Will just be a, a modernized version that can have a new trademark and you know that that fans can say, "Yeah, we contributed to this and make them feel good." Wow, that's right, a- last kit comment. North Texas is getting a New Jersey too. But we don't have any idea of what it looks. No. I'm sure it'll be very template. Red. It'll come out. It'll come out of yeah. the uh, Adidas uh, rack kind of thing. It won't be like a custom deal, will it? it I, certainly, I don't think so. And it certainly won't be anything like Ford Madison gets. I doubt it. No, <laughs> <laughs> Ford Madison is awesome. They're, they get all kinds of I great know. stuff. Could you? I'm, I mean, I think there's a day someday that they might be able to get their own design, but it's too early for that for you know a club like well that. it's funny in reading the article from pablo maurer in the athletic with the story behind how all these jerseys came to be and there was all this conversation about how each club has a design team and some clubs have a more skilled and uh, experienced design team than other ones just tend to let every adidas hand everything over i suddenly was thrown back to last year's uh you know uh, badge creation for and north texas and it was just I, was it the photographer that worked for the team? They asked yeah. to make a make the badge for North Texas. That's correct. Yeah. yeah so I sus- when I was reading that from Pablo, I was uh, it was pretty clear who he was talking about in in that conversation. All right. Well, that's almost thirty full damn minutes of kit talk. How glorious wow. is that? Pretty good stuff. 
The kit that around. Is the kit around. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, move on to things pertinent to preseason today. Uh, Dallas was out on the West Coast and they held a, a scrimmage or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the official term is because it was done in periods. So they played a hockey game on grass against LAFC and we got some action out of that, Buzz. Yeah, the game's uh, tied 2-2. Two to two. Uh, Jesus Ferreira scored a spectacular goal where he trapped the ball out of the air and didn't let it come down and just volleyed it. It was gorgeous. And then um, Ricardo Pepe, choo-choo, all aboard the hype train uh, on a lead pass from uh, Thomas Roberts. Thomas Roberts. Pepe got a goal. Thomas Roberts. Uh, bad news, Brandon Cervania, um sprained his knee. Uh, it's supposed to be a light sprain, but a sprain nonetheless. He'll be out a couple of weeks. And um, Tiago Santos played, and of course none of us saw it, but um, I have heard through some of my usual channels that um, the, the guy's the real deal and that the other squad members are quite impressed with him and that he's legit. So that's really positive to hear in the short time that he's been here. Are we getting any, I mean, Buzz, do you, uh, you've been to practice, Dan, you've been to practice. We've seen some of the stuff online in terms of uh, real-time game action are we getting any very clear sense how this midfield construction uh is is going to play out with lucci in terms of jesus paxton uh brian acosta Cervania, Cerillo, and obviously uh santos how how is this going to shake out are we in theory is there a universe in which we see fc dallas line up on opening day and Paxton isn't starting, and Cervania isn't starting, uh, and maybe some other weird uh, difference from last year. Yeah, ba- basically what we saw today and what i have expecting us to see since last winter was effectively you come out of the end of last season, and if you were a starter at the end of last season, you're a starter right now, which is what we saw today. I mean, uh, uh, Cobra was up top with M- Mascara on the left, Barrios on the right, Ferrero was the... Uh, free eight or whatever you want to call that spot. Cervania was the other eight and Acosta was the six. So, you know, unless something changes in terms of an injury, like Cervania getting hurt today, or if something changes in terms of a player getting healthy and beating somebody out, that's going to be it. Now we would expect Santos to beat out Acosta for the sixth spot. We expect that to happen, but who knows how soon that'll be. Other than that, uh, you know, you're looking at, that's basically your lineup going into opening day, unless something dramatic happens over the last two weeks of spring training you know it's someone's got you got to beat somebody out to get one of those spots at this point yeah I mean, the only difference i've i've seen in practice is uh obviously you know there was the uh the bit of the three five two which then obviously not going to play against a, a conference rival in preseason they're gonna keep that one rather under wraps um there there is a lot of playing around with uh with a true double pivot uh having more of a you know, two sixes or or, or two eights equal uh, behind the three eight. That's I, I don't know if that's just tweaking the lineup to try and see how Acosta and um, and Tiago Santos should sit alongside each other best. But we, you know, we should see uh, see that kind of evolve in the last uh, three weeks of preseason heading into that Philadelphia game. Uh, if if you were an FC Dallas fan. And opening day does come, and the starting eleven is essentially the same starting eleven that ended the season. Would you begrudge a fan who was disappointed in that? Uh, 
I don't know that I would begrudge somebody that. I mean, I, there's probably going to be some people that will be surprised by that. But, um, you know, it's a certain part of coaching and maintaining your locker room is that you don't just make decisions arbitrarily. So, you know, guys that played really well the back half of that season and got that team on a run deserve to still be the guy. You know, there's no, you know, unless it's different when, you know, that's true at the start of spring training. And then over the month of the training, if somebody does something in front of all the players and they all go, oh, man, look at the way that guy's playing. And then he gets in the lineup. Well, that's fair. But, you know, that's why I say it's like, you, someone's going to have to do something. You know, Paxton's going to have to outplay somebody that's in there. And those guys are going to get a lot of the benefit of the doubt because they were the ones that carried the team down the stretch. So, Yeah, but you know. uh, but if you remember, down the stretch, the team was pretty crappy. I mean, they only beat Houston and Cincinnati, and they got clobbered by Chicago. Yeah, they got a tie in Seattle. They tied New York. They got clobbered by Colorado. And then they ended the season by beating Kansas City, and you know when Kansas City showed up and didn't give two squats. I, I don't, I couldn't, I wouldn't say that the season ended on a strong run by any stretch of the imagination. I, I remember being very concerned that this team was probably the, in the worst form of any of the teams that actually qualified for the playoffs. Well, I, I would have said that it did end on a strong upturn. You know, I mean, I know they got clobbered by Chicago, but they they almost won on the road in the playoffs. You know, they they stomped Kansas City six nothing. You know, they went from not being able to score to having Cobra start scoring. So you know, other than that Chicago game, yeah, and it you was have the one a, loss against Colorado have, that wasn't that great either. But yeah, you have a very very different memory of the end of the season than I do. Well, let's look at the last part of the game then, right? They beat Houston five one. They beat Cincy 3-1. Then they had the bad loss. Then they tied Seattle, who won the Cup. Then they tied New York City, who won the East. Then lost to Colorado, so that's bad. And they beat Kansas City 6-0 and almost beat Seattle, who won the Cup. So it's like they had two bad losses in those eight games, but they also stopped the crap out of a bunch of people and played well against people that won their respective they leagues. Were, they were good at home and pretty awful on the road. Yeah, well, that's that's part of that is Cobra. So I'm just saying, like, you know, there was a pretty consistent run there, you know, and they got some production, which had been a problem the whole year. All of a sudden the production came. So, like, you know, as a coach, if, like, you go into the next season, you go, oh, well, three of you dudes that were doing well for me at the end are out. I don't care. You can't do that. You have to go consistently with what you had at the end. You know, if, if you thought – now, if you're rebuilding your team, that's different. But if you made the playoffs and you think that was the first step of some progression, you have to maintain what you were doing – and then you bring in people. Those people have to win spots. You don't hand out spots. So it's not surprising to me that Fafa Pico, Thiago Santos, Paxton Pomaval are going to have to win jobs. Yeah, I guess they're, they're, all, they're also ahead. all integrating. You know, Paxton's coming off his layoff. Fafa Pico coming off a small layoff. You know, Pico is absolutely ahead of Mosquera. Mosquera has been a body spare number 10 most of preseason. That's the second time he's played on the wing. Um, it's. But, you know, you're not going to... It's also, you know, a three-period game. You're not just going to throw out dead-on starters and then yeah, you know, I'm just, just switch I, to reserves. I'm just reacting to Buzz's suggestion that maybe we'll end up on opening day with what we're, where we ended at the end of last season. And it would seem to me 
Um, I, I, you know, again, lots can change between now and then, and certainly there are mitigating factors with each of these people. I, I would tend to believe that on, if, if Paxson isn't starting and this new kick-ass holding mid um, Santos isn't starting because Brian Acosta is not a holding mid by nature and certainly struggled in that position more than he probably should have. Um, I, I just think I think there would be reason to be somewhat at the very least surprised if not uh, uh, allowed to be disappointed if that's how it starts out. But again, there's a lot of time between now and the start of the season. I'm just reacting to what Buzz said may happen. Well, it's, so. it's a long season too. Now, I, now if, you, if you ask me if I expect to have all 11 be exactly the same, no, no, of course not. I think somebody's going to beat somebody out. Fafa Pico is probably a great example. But, you know, if you're talking about how many, like, full 11 tune-up games I have left, there might be two more. Yeah. You know, so it's not surprising in the, in the first big one against the uh, opposition that I can – I'm trying to trouble remember whether they've played anybody else that's a big MLS team yet. You know, this is your first big MLS team yet, so it's not surprising at all that you saw the guys that – had it coming out of last year, get it today. Mm-hmm. And then we might see some change going forward from here. You now, they also played a game recently against Landon Donovan's uh, oddly named San Diego Loyal. Or right. is it Loyal? I don't know. Oh, um, L'Oreal? <laughs> and then, of course, as we all probably could have easily predicted beforehand, they lost that game on a singular goal to one of their own players. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mentioned on the podcast last week, uh, reported, quote-unquote, if you will, that I, I found out Francis is for sure going on loan this year. I just didn't know to who. And then he popped up playing for San Diego, and they even gave him a jersey number and everything. So, of course, he scored and, and beat. It was, you know, it's, it's backups and picks and reserves, but nonetheless, he scored, and of course he did. And knocked off FC Dallas one nothing. Right, and because of uh, media blackouts and whether they were intended to be media blackouts or not, and just lack of coverage online, we just haven't seen a lot of the team so far, at least in game action. That changes this particular weekend. Is that correct? There's a, 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 a yeah. an event happening, and they're going to show it online, and it's open to the public. Yeah, Sunday's scrimmage at 10 a.m. against Austin Bold is available for the public, but you know. I, we don't know, but assume that Austin Bold means uh, not your starting 11. You're going to get second 11 picks reserves probably. So, uh, Buzz, from the practices and stuff that you have seen, is there any mm-hmm. particular new face that you're excited about? Um, no. Okay. Oh, yeah, Fafa Pico. Fafa okay. Pico I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah, him. I think he's... I think, uh, as as Dan mentioned, I think that he'll beat out Santiago Mascara, excuse me, and will be an, an influential player this season for the team. I'm excited about him. All right. But that's the only new player I'm excited about. I'm excited about some old players, too, but that's different. Uh, here in the notes, uh, you have noted Reggie leadership, parentheses, based on his interviews. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because um, I'm talking about both the interviews he did from the national team camp and from the interview he did when he got back. And the reason I wanted to talk about him is because uh, number one, um, it's always impressive how intelligent that kid is and how smart he is and how much he gets the whole process. And in both interviews, he specifically mentions the situation he's in competing in the national team against three dudes, four guys for one spot, Yedlin, Dest and, and um, uh, Adams. So he a hundred percent knows what his situation is. And it's a hundred percent clear that he knows he needs to get to a higher level of play this year like probably even fast, right? Not even like if he waits till August, that's too late. So 
and the, the other part of it is though, is that he keeps talking about how all he can do is be really focused on himself and his team. And both of the U S team and FC Dallas are really young and he's trying to be a leader to the young guys. And I just love the way he's carrying himself. And I love how focused he sounds about bringing his a game this season. So just in, in a situation of chaos for him personally, I can imagine. I just love the way he's talking and the way he's carrying himself and conducting himself. And so I, I just think it's tremendous. I have a lot of respect for it. So now that he hasn't been sold in this current window and is in, and by all accounts looks like he will be with the team to at least for the first half of the season, he clearly is queuing himself up for a sale uh, mid-season in the normal transfer window for the rest of the world. How often do you think it's likely that we will see other players play that position so that when, assuming Reggie leaves in July, they've got at least some level of experience under their belts uh, to take over full time, whether that be Brian Reynolds or uh, John Nelson or whoever it is? Yeah, I think it'll it'll happen some. Um, one thing that will lend itself to that is that Reggie more than likely will get called into the Olympic team ah, on right. top of being in the national team. So you're looking at a fair number of call-ups for Reggie in the first half of the year, particularly the first Olympic camp is going to happen in March. So where Dallas could lose four players, actually Jesus Paxton, Reggie and Brandon. Um, so I, I think there's a really good opportunity just from those call-ups alone. Uh, and then whenever the cup game is Dan, I can't remember when the cup game is, you know, so you're looking at maybe somewhere between five, six, seven games that somebody can play, which is the right amount. You know, that's what you're looking for at least five. Um, you know, not including whatever somebody could do with North Texas too. Cause it's important, you know, cause if you're talking about Reggie leaving in whatever it is, March to April, May, June, July, whatever it is, you can't, if you, if you think you're competing for the playoffs, which this team thinks it is, um, if you have a guy that's a national team player leave, you can't just throw the roll the dice. You have to have somebody ready. So we'll see how that is. It's going be interesting. Dan, any preseason uh, thoughts you want to throw in before we move on to the next topic? No, but uh, one thing to think of is, uh, you know, should they qualify for the, for the Olympics, uh, the whole thing happens again in July. Another five games they'd miss. Yeah. yeah. Thomas well, Roberts might get some playing time this year. Probably Thomas more Roberts. than five, right? Because if they progress far enough in the tournament, they well, would miss, you know, the, the Olympics. I mean, the Olympics itself is two weeks, so they would miss four games based off that. Uh, and I'm guessing... You know, going to Japan, they're probably going to be leaving a week, 10 days out so they can get some training time in and deal with the Olympic obligations. All right. And so I guess that's going to lead me to one last question. What is the status of Paxson at this point? Um, is there any chance that he gets held out long term so that he is healthy for Olympic qualifying? Or what is your read on that so far? Well, um, when I last saw him in training, he looked um, 100% uh, in terms of I don't see anything holding him back. The only thing that was holding him back was uh, the team doing a, um, a minutes load. Like he went, the last time I saw out training, he went full speed 100% up until he hit that minute mark, and then they yanked him like right on the mark. Um, so it's just a question at this point of the slow build for him. Now, is he, is he as sharp and as bright as he was like middle of last year? No, but he'll play into that and he'll be fine. It'll be a really interesting question, as you say, whether um, some of the camps coming up, the U.S. camps and for the national senior team and the Olympic team, whether they hold the guys back. You know, Lucci always says 
they 100% are a developing team. That means supporting call-ups. So, uh, you know, Paxton load work over the course of the season is going to be a really interesting question when you combine call-ups and playing time. We'll see. It's, it's going to be a really fluid situation. It's not like he's just dealing with a straight-up injury that he's recovering from. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's the after-effects of a, of a surgery. He's just, you know, he's going to have pain some days and, and to try and work through it. Yeah, and we're and, and with the first game being... It is the end of February, right? The 28th? 29th. The 29th. Uh, the the call-up for the Olympic camp is literally a week later, so it, it, we won't see a lot of a lot of these guys uh, for very long before they disappear for a bit. Right, right. Uh, which would be uh, Jesus, Pax, Reggie, and Brandon at this point. Assuming Brandon, they're Brandon all... with the knee injury he just got, that, that'll be interesting to see how quickly he comes back. I mean, they reported, quote-unquote, a couple of weeks, but... You know, who knows when they actually how they actually give him a scan and what that might happen with him. And I'm sorry if I missed it earlier. The injury happened during the scrimmage today. Today against LAFC, yeah, okay. yeah, uh, sprained knee. All right. So the other announcement that happened this week uh, with the Huntsman is something that you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe we are experts at, which is their broadcast announcement for television. Um, it essentially is the exact same deal as last year, correct? T, uh, correct. TX21 yeah. is going to end up broadcasting all but five of the games. Those other five then fall between Unimas and uh, the other Telemundo, I believe it yeah. is. Uh, there are no Dallas games on ESPN or Fox this year, correct? Right, that's correct. I think there's one Univision game, I think. All right, so... Let's knock this part of it out, out of the way because this is obviously the most controversial aspect of this particular uh, broadcast agreement for the club is the, the weird catch-22 that it puts uh, the fans in, which is because their broadcast partner is a TV station that does not have a streaming solution, that is TX21, uh, there is no way to watch any FC Dallas game that is on TX21 via streaming. Am I correct in that? Yeah, uh, it, it, in this market, that's correct. I mean, obviously, if you're outside this market, you can ESPN Plus it. But, um, you know, it's not entirely, it's not any FC Dallas's fault. It's just the way the rules work with a national streaming package. You know, in order to stream it, if, if, if FC Dallas wanted to stream it on their own, they would have to buy the streaming rights. Um, which they are not going to do when the when the league has this uh, national ESPN deal, you know. So their hands are tied unless TXA Twenty One figures out some way to stream. And even then, I'm not sure how that would all work. It's that would be yeah. Wouldn't they but... still have to buy the streaming package? I mean, I think they would have to. I think if TXA wanted to stream it, I think they would have to. You know, uh... it's, I'm not sure because yeah. you know that because ESPN owns has the league wide contract. For the stream, so like LAFC, who does their games on YouTube, uh, I believe, has bought the streaming rights from the league so that they can do that. I haven't specifically looked online, but um, if my understanding of the rules are correct, that means that LAFC's games aren't on the ESPN Plus package. And, and this yeah. is the reason why, uh, despite the games being on TV21, if you're a YouTube TV subscriber or a Hulu Live subscriber, one of those cord-cutting platforms, you, the games are still blacked out because of the, yeah, of the streaming. digital streaming rights. Right? Yeah, it's streaming. You can't do it. 
Um, now the ups. Now I'm a big believer that this is the best solution for Dallas because, uh, granted, I'm old from an older generation, but the fact that the station is available over the air, which means it's free to anybody who wants to go through the hassle of putting an antenna up, which for me it works great, you know. But I get it; other people don't like that. Um, that, that what everybody should understand is it's not like. Uh, the club has other options. They don't have other TV stations that are asking them to be a part of their network or are willing to pay them for it or anything like that, uh, whether it be Fox Sports or another over-the-air channel. It, this really is um, one of the, 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 the limited option Dallas has to broadcast games in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Again, I get it. There's a whole generation or two generations of people that think sticking an antenna up in the air is a giant hassle and not worth it. Uh, but the alternative is for Dallas to sign a deal with a streaming service that you would then have to pay for uh, a subscription for. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure either what you know, you're going to go one way or the other and you're going to end up pissing off a whole bunch of people. And if they went to a streaming service, I would have to pay for something awful like Flow Sports for God's sake, uh, I would be, I'd be livid on a lot of accounts if they ended up doing that. Yeah. If you're trying to build your audience um, over the air is actually the way to go because Dallas has the worst cable penetration rates in the country. One of the worst, something like 65%. So they actually reach far more people over the air. And, and, and especially when you include the, those ancillary stations they've picked up, which added like another million households that they reach. So, um, in terms of broadcast partners, it, honestly, this is the best that they've had in years, and it's about as good as it can get when you're trying to reach people that are un, that don't have cable and don't have streaming, which is a lot of people in Dallas, believe it or not. It's not a good market for that stuff. And they're caught between a rock and a hard place, right? It's, there's, it's not a perfect option. I would absolutely love it if they they had a streaming option, but someone's got to pay a hundred grand for it, and they're not going to yeah. get a hundred grand return. Yes. And if I'm being the snarky person, if it really breaks your heart, if they're home games, you could just attend the games. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Unless there was, unless you, you, unless one particular listener of the podcast has a particular, you know, a personal issue that prevents them from doing that, a, 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 a disability or a financial reason, I get it. There's reasons why people can't do that. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying by and large, the vast majority of people who complain about this are people who could certainly buy a ticket and actually go to the games if they chose to do so. Um, and remember, there the prior to the TV, the Texas Twenty One deal, Dallas had an absolutely ten times worse deal going on with Time Warner, which was the uh, like the Best biggest joke thing ever. Oh, it was ter- it was so as a as a Time Warner subscriber for me at the time, it was amazing because <laughs> I had the games, I had streaming, oh, it was wonderful. It was I appreciate so bad. Eighty percent yeah. of people that sucked, but the worst. Yeah. Yes, considering they had less than 20% uh, penetration in the market. Yes, it was the worst deal ever, no doubt about it. Plus, they got all the other affiliates they get out of this uh, deal that uh, uh, they finagled and and, kind of taped together on all the different small stations across uh, smaller cities in Texas, so good for them. It's it's always worth uh, remembering, like, you know, people always forget that FC Dallas, it's not as if, you know, like you say, stations are lining up to say, hey, let us do this for you or let us pay you to let us do this for you. You know, although FC Dallas are getting a really nice cut rate, I think it's I think it was told it was like fourteen grand. It's it's still 
a decent outlay every game to have it aired on TV. Uh, you know, and that was one of the high points for them for the, the Time Warner deal was they didn't pay a penny for it. Yeah, no, they uh, look, uh, Dan and Clark Hunt, without question, are losing their ass on this deal because the production costs far exceed the actual audience numbers they're getting. I used to track the ratings for this game in and game out over the last two or three seasons, and if they got if they got to 10,000 viewers of a game, that was a big deal. I mean, game in and game out, they've been averaging somewhere between four and five four and 5,000 viewers uh prior to last season i would say i don't know how much i tracked it i had access to ratings the a year before uh, the numbers are really meager which is fine it's a saturday people don't watch tv on saturdays that's not in you know it, it is what it is uh but for the amount of money they're spending to produce the games uh they they weren't making it up in ad revenue or viewership uh that's for sure uh, the other thing I wanted to comment about is that they don't have a radio, an English radio solution this year. What they are doing is they're streaming the TV play-by-play on their website, but they are going to be doing a pregame, halftime show, and postgame, and Tyler Kern is going to host that. So congratulations to him. Tyler's a great guy, and I'm really happy he got that. There are some rumors running around that they are in negotiations with the fan, uh, Intercom, who owns the fan and WBAP, to try to do something. I, I, you know, I'm in that business, and this has been bouncing around for a while now. I think the complication is the fan is the uh, flagship station for the Texas Rangers, and the Rangers essentially play every weekend through uh, November or however long unless they win the World Series. So I don't think that that makes the fan a, a legitimate partner for a radio broadcast that I can see. I guess they could theoretically bump the broadcast to WBAP uh, on those days, but that would almost happen every weekend based on the don't calendar have, as I see it. Don't they have that... Uh... AM KRLD station as well, the talk one. Yeah, they do. They have other stations they could, in theory, bump to, but there's programming obligations that all of these stations have. And I think, you know, from as a radio person looking at this without all the information, I'm just I'm speculating here, which is not everybody's favorite thing to do. I think the holdup and the reason why there wasn't an announcement made along with everything else, and I think which will, by and large, p- potentially prevent this from happening is the fact that if you go from date to date to date, there are going to be too many dates to justify the spend on Dallas's part to get their games in this group of stations because those stations already have other obligations that would end up making FC Dallas either not air at all or bump from so many different stations, there's no consistency in it. And it re- really would reduce the return to value uh, on the investment. So for, for context, um, you know, FC Dallas held a, a meeting with the supporters groups and uh, there was some radio discussion in it. And one thing that came out was them saying, hey, so we're going to announce a new radio partner and we're going to have all this uh, shoulder programming and there'll be a Lucha Gonzalez show. And oh, they said and the this other. in the meeting? They did. They said they'll have an announcement, but they—I mean—they also said they were going to have like full pre and post games on TXA21 that never materialized. So, 
yeah. you know, scale back expectations. Maybe I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm, I, I, I never mind being wrong. I'm just, I've been in the radio business for over 30 years. I know how this works. I know how these deals get put together. And I'm only working off just looking at calendars and how tough it'll be for them to consistently be on one radio station. Oh, and, totally. And if they're you, spending the money to do it, there's a return on that investment that they need to get back from it. If they're willing to spend the money and jump from station to station to make it work, then more power to them. Look, there is no shame in putting FC Dallas games on KRLD or WBAP. Those are fantastic AM signals that cover very great distances. So uh, if they work that out, it's great. The problem, like you say, is is how the calendar would work. You know, um, the fan have college football, they have Rangers baseball. You know, they, they have to kick stuff to KRLD all the time. So, you know, if you are absolutely bottom of the totem pole and there's something that gets kicked to KRLD and maybe something that gets kicked to WPAP, well, where do you go from there? You end up on the uh, the Christian radio station from a couple of years ago when they got kicked one, from one to the other every week. Yeah, look, if if in fact they're able to cobble together some sort of deal... Uh, for an English broadcast, it would it, it will be something to celebrate uh, and be admire because it would be great to have those things. It would be uh, it would it'd be fun to be able to listen to that stuff as you leave the game. I hope they figure out a way to make it work. I just based on what I understand, it it's it's going to be a tough slog. All right, uh, Buzz. The other thing that uh, came up last week that is uh, pretty well, I don't know. Let's actually let's let's put a pin in that because now we're uh, over almost an hour into this, and we haven't even talked about the two giant breaking pieces of news that happened today. Uh, first off, is the collective bargaining agreement has been completed and done, and the second actually broke as we were getting ready to start uh, talking about or start recording the pod, which is Jay Burhalter is resigning yeah, <laughs> as COO of U.S. Soccer, which completely caught everybody off guard. Uh, let's talk about the CBA first because there's lots to discuss there. Yeah, the, the big points to hit on, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to keep them tight and sm- simple, um, is there's been some changes in all the complicated TAM GAM garbage, and all you need to know is that you can now use it for more things. Um, so there's more freedom for the teams. That's there's, good. There's less TAM, more GAM. Yeah, yeah. And and even the TAM that's left, you can do other things with it. So there's what is what the, it is doesn't what, matter. All you need to know is there's more freedom to get guys. Well, that's but hold it. on. I do think there – and you may not know the answer to this. Okay. Maybe Dan does. Is there a particular bone to pick about TAM that maybe the players had an issue with or the U.S.-based players had an I've, – I've always understood that somebody, and I don't know if it's the American player or the players in general, had some sort of real issue with TAM as a concept. Yeah, the players hate confusing. TAM. Yeah. What? But it, that that's mainly it. The players hate TAM, but it's because they want it to be simple where they say if you bought a guy for this much money, they want it to be that much money. They don't want to have all these little funny things happening. So that's why the players hate TAM. They want to get rid of it because they want it to be one number to make it for people to understand. And Tam, uh, they made a they made a big deal that Tam is decreasing over the life of this, but the amount it decreases is relatively minor. It it yeah. drops a couple hundred or maybe a hundred, like literally from twenty four to uh, from twenty three to twenty four, it only drops a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, it hasn't gone away. And and what really all that matters is that there's now versatility in how you can use it has gone up. So your club team can now buy more people 
basically. That's what it's important for fans to know. That's what happened. So item two is the caps going up by 2024. It goes up to 11.6 million. So that's, you know, good. Um, they tied salary to revenue, which means the media revenue in particular, which means that um, this is important because there's a new TV deal coming in 2023. So if the media rights escalate, then the player salaries will escalate. And that's um, going to be a big one because that's local, which means you know MLS are yeah. going to negotiate for FC Dallas's local deal. It's national, it's international. They have everything on the table. Yeah, they're expecting a big bump. So that's you know it's it, the tie-in is important because that's the way the other sports work. That tie-in. Yeah, and in fact, I want to I want to take a second to dig into this because okay. in the explanation, uh, what this is and I'm going to read from it, is an amount equal to 25% of the increased media revenue above the amount generated by the league in 2022 plus $100 million. So if I'm reading this correctly, and I'm just going to make up a number here, that means that if MLS uh, ends up signing a new media deal for television rights that is worth I'm just, again, making up a number, $10 million more than the existing one, the players would then share 25% of $10 million plus and, a, and another $100 million on top of that. Yeah, yeah. That, just, what, that sort of is, it's not, um, it, these, these get complicated to explain. It just means that like when you, when you, when you add up all the players' salaries, it needs to be like at, this, at that level so if it's not, then we raise the cap. So it's like, it's a line, it's, it's uh, like they've said specifically that the language on these things are not done. These are bullet points that they've agreed to. Mm, so okay. basically their agreement is like how they're going to execute this in minutia. Who knows? There's going to be some crazy ass contractual crap. You know, all it really matters is like that they've tied revenue for the league into the player's salary so that from now on, as the league revenues continue to climb, the players can just point to these literal numbers and say, you got to meet these numbers so our salaries need to go up. Our cap needs to go up. You know, like the the NFL, I think, is like 55% of the players. The NBA is like 70% of the players. You know, this is how they all work. The MLS players have no power, so theirs is way lower. You know, as these things go up, it'll go up. Yeah, so. the reason why I'm fascinated by this particular aspect of the new CBA is this $100 million number they've thrown in here because – Am yeah. I wrong in saying that the current deal was worth ninety million in total alone? Isn't that right? Well, I, didn't, I, I didn't look it up, but that sounds right. Yeah, because I I think yeah. yeah. So I, it's weird to me that they would automatically up front say we're auto, we're already going to share a hundred million dollars with the players in media rights money plus an additional twenty five percent of whatever the increase is because just to cover the hundred million dollar nut up front means they're expecting their new TV deal to be worth multiples upon multiples more than the current deal they have, which if I'm in if I'm not wrong, was just south of a hundred million dollars itself. Maybe I've got all those numbers yeah. wrong, but that's how I remember it. Well, that's generally correct, but the the landscape has changed, and there's now a bunch of people that are in soccer. You know, like CBS has just come in for some soccer. There's some other players that are in for soccer. So, like, they're expecting a big bump in this next deal because it'll MLS also is. come with all the streaming rights and everything. Yeah, else. all kinds of stuff. The landscape's different than it was last time they did a deal. So, like, that that hundred million basically says that's what our deal is now. So the 25% is going to be whatever's new, basically. So, you know, I, I, in the big picture, that this this line item in the big picture is one that says, because we have no idea what the new deal is going to be. 
It could be 200 million. It could be 2 billion. You know, if we're super lucky, you know, it could be crazy. And so they built in a percentage wise of what the, the whole thing, the whole cap and the whole revenue and what you pay players could go through the roof crazy. If for some reason, this next TV deal is through the roof crazy. That's all all that language is for. Sorry. I didn't mean to bog down on that one detail, but I I find it fascinating. Well, people, you know, it's, it's the important distinction is that none of these are, you know, signed contracts. They're, they're bullet points of agreement, which is, you know, that's why this is coded the way it is. All right. So the next item is a chapter, uh, charter flight increases, um, this year there'll be eight legs. The team has to use all eight of their legs. It's not round trips, it's legs. And by 2024, it'll be 16. Um, but you can't do more than eight. You can only do eight and you have to do eight. Um, and that's just regular season, right? Like it, that's that regular doesn't, season. like champions league and playoffs all have to be charter flights. Uh, no, it, no yeah. international. They said it's up to the owner's choice on the, on the conference call with the players union today. They specifically said international games. It's up to what the owner wants to do. But playoffs have count. to be charter. Uh, I don't remember the discussion of playoffs, but the the eight legs is the, regular the thing season. They released because... earlier. Definitely said it, playoffs and Champions League were mandatory. That's weird. Yeah, the thing I'm reading says all yeah. MLS playoff games and international CCL league matches will be chartered. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, maybe there's some discrepancy there because on the conference call, they said it's up to the owner. Oh, okay. On the international stuff. Well, maybe they meant non CCL international. I don't know. It's it's just worth keeping in mind. Like, you know, it's such a, it's a, you know, 2024, it's, you know, it's quadrupling the current number, but teams now, you know, they, they hold back on those flights in case they get to playoffs. So where you've got four legs, some teams are only ever using. One for a midweek game, one way, or, or you know, none at all. Well, it ostensibly yeah. means that almost half of your regular season games are going to be charter flights. Well, no, it's not eight flights; it's eight legs. Well, by it's like one way. Well, wait a second. Hold on. What do you mean eight? Oh, you one mean one way? Oh, Jesus. The idea, yeah. the idea was we were being legs. Is say you play. San Jose on a weeknight, which seems to be a common thing for FC Dallas, they can fly out on the, uh, you know, on, on a charter, and then they can get commercial back. I see. Okay. All you right. could split it up basically. Yeah. So it's it's more. It's just slowly going up because that stuff's really expensive. Well, you know, um, it's in, uh, hold on because I want to make a point here. If yeah. they've got a hundred million dollars to throw around on the media thing. It, it makes me wonder in the negotiations, did the players have to come to a decision? Hey, do you want the cash in your pocket or do you hmm. want us to spend this on charter flights? Uh, that's a good, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, it's going to keep going up. The, the, the players will keep pushing until it's a hundred percent charter. Well, you know, certainly. There, but my point is, I, I have to assume that was some sort of negotiation tactic that got flown around here, which is, hey, look, we can give you all the charter flights you want, but that means you're going to get less money yeah. somewhere else. And the players went, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> I want to be able yeah. to pay for first class when I take my wife <laughs> on vacation. Almost certainly, yeah. I mean, if, if they tie it into working conditions as well, their per diems uh, are nearly doubling. They're getting a bigger 401k contribution. Um, they're getting moving... Uh, expenses and travel costs increased they're getting uh, they're now they didn't do it before but now I, I can't remember if they didn't do it or it didn't last long but now when you retire as an MLS player you're keeping your benefits for for several years afterwards 
Hmm. All right. So uh, we could bog down into a bunch of, yeah. G- are there, is there anything in particular yeah. about this you want to get into? Well, the next three are the things that affect FC Dallas the most. Oh, okay. Um, Go ahead. The first of which is the free agency uh, age limit change to where it's now 24 years old with five years of experience in the league. That's a huge um, change. Yeah. And there's two important things to understand about this for FC Dallas. Um, if you look at the current team, what that's only going to be older players. The only one that it might apply to soon is Michael Barrios, who should be should have one this year's an option. He should have one more option year left, and then he's the first guy because Jesse Hedges and Hollingshead all just renewed. So those are that's your guy you worry about, Michael Barrios, in two years. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the bigger issue is um, in terms of free agency and five years experience is for Alex Dallas is homegrowns. Because if you're an 18 year old homegrown out of the academy, you sign your first deal. They're almost always three plus two. Mm-hmm. That's five years of experience. So basically, every FC Dallas homegrown is going to walk out of their first contract a free agent. So wow. those are the two big impacts for FC Dallas to they'll have to consider going forward. the The next big uh, item in the deal is the third DP. Um, the league has negotiated the right to tell teams that the third dp is if it's if the third dp is over the age of 24 um that you're going to have a bigger cap hit now i i I, this is a complicated one and the, the the basically way to distill it down is um some of the owners wanted to limit the dps for the team so that you have to do some youth development kind of dps you can't just do three david beckhams right so uh it's a weird one, and I, it's it's part of uh, I think the teams that don't have a lot of money trying to limit the teams that do have a lot of money, so that if your third DP is a big price, twenty eight year old dude, you're gonna have a bigger cap hit than we are that our third guy is a twenty two year old guy. Trying to rein in some of the runaway Atlantas and LAFCs, if you will. Hmm. So that won't affect SC Dallas because they have young guys anyway, and their DPs only barely over the DP limit, which is going up to 600 K and then 800 K by 224 for the DP hit, which is a lot. So that's like only Ziegler is above that 800 K right now. Of course he won't be playing in 2024, but um, all right. And then the last item of the CBA is that starting in 2021, um, there's a new classification of player that they haven't explained yet, but yeah, each team can have three players. Synthetic. Basically, not count on your roster. I know it's more. Basically, it's like they're not. They're not going to be homegrown or anything like that. It's like it's again. It's incentive to have young players being developed. So, like if, if you have uh, in SC Dallas's case, Pablo Arangis is really young on their senior roster and costs a lot of money. So they can have up to three guys that are like that on a much reduced salary cap charge. Well, that'll start not this year. It'll start next year. So for Dallas, that's a big one because Dallas buys young, right? They buy 20-year-olds. They buy 18-year-olds. So uh, that one will impact them quite a bit in terms of getting under the cap. The The question I had coming out of this was um, how, if you're looking at this through Clark Hunt's um, eyes and thinking of the budget, I noticed that there is a, 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 am I incorrect in reading this that the salary budget they break this this structure up into three categories salary budget tam and discretionary tam 
And my question is, is the salary budget number now the minimum that a club has to spend? No, this is what they call their salary cap. So we do, do we know if, in fact, a club is forced to spend? Like yes. the, There is. What is that, Dan? Um, it's not been published yet. That's one of those things that will have to be agreed by the Board of Governors and the MLSPA. But on the, the, uh, the CBA that expires tomorrow, uh, the minimum spend is 95% of the cap. Now, okay, so here's my question. Is the cap... The like for twenty nine for twenty twenty the salary budget is listed at four point nine million dollars, but then there's one point five million dollars in GAM and two point eight million dollars in discretionary TAM. So if you add all of that up, is that the number they have to hit ninety nine ninety five percent of, or is it ninety five percent of just the four point nine million dollars? Like they don't have to spend any TAM. My and GAM. understanding is just the four point nine. Well, first of all, the cap's going up to nine point two million in twenty twenty under this new CBA. Well, so the cap's okay, but that okay, but that's my point. Is the, yeah. it, the I think the nine million dollar number you're coming up with is the four point nine plus the one point five two five and the two point eight. I don't I don't think so. I mean, I, listen, I'm not a cap expert, but the way I understand TAM and GAM works is that uh, if you have a guy that makes a million dollars and you don't want him to be a DP, you take well, $400,000 of DP and you buy his salary down to 600,000. I understand. So that 600,000 now fits into your 4 million cap. So the cap is the cap. The budget is the budget. It's going up to 9 million. Well, and then Tam and Gam buys contracts down to get them under the budget. Maybe it's a coincidence, but 4.9 plus 1.525 plus 2.8 equals $9.225 million. Yeah, uh, yeah. They don't right. have to use the the general allocation or the discretionary town, but it's they have to hit pretty close to the budget. Okay. Yeah, that part's correct. It's ninety five percent of the four point five, or as I think, the cap's going up to nine point two. But well, maybe it's something for all of us to investigate and research. Yeah, I know this yeah. is all new, and we didn't have a lot of time to do this today. I'm just it's fascinated. Kind of the the obfuscation of it all, you know. We think of the salary budget as the cap, and then there's the monopoly money that ex- essentially extends the cap. So now that's the available spend on roster, right? Which we're now talking as the cap. Uh, but I do think we can all agree that the general vibe that came out of the league today, or, or at least uh, you know, a, a, along social media, and everything is that everybody seems really happy with this. I didn't see anybody complaining about how this deal came together or what the results of the deals were every unlike five years ago when everybody was freaking out uh it seemed very kumbaya all day today no i think it was a win-win for everybody actually it's good incremental change all right uh any uh so we'll uh set that down for now we'll read up about it and next week i'm sure we'll have more stuff to discuss and maybe we'll find a big giant loophole or Something in there that'll suddenly have us all pissed off about it. Who knows? Um, yeah. Uh, any other particular thoughts about the Jay Burhalter thing? Literally, this uh, we read it in a tweet as we were about to hit start on the pod. Anything about it that anybody has any opinion on or uh, X, Y, or Z? Well, there was a thing a couple of days ago about he wasn't going to be get the CEO job that he wanted. So, my, I mean, my assumption would be, like, if you get passed over for the other job, you're like, oh, then I'm out of here. 
So that would be my guess. Maybe he just but, didn't uh, want to live in Chicago any longer. Yeah, I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean that. I I don't know how many people who listen to the pod know much about Jay. Uh, Jay is a re, uh, Jay is um, if if you think Greg Berhalter is a uh, quiet, uh, emotionless automaton, uh, Jay makes Greg look like Robin Williams, um, <laughs> frankly, uh, and he's not a guy that's easily likable, uh, and so. Look, if everybody's worried about the structure of U.S. soccer and how things have been going, and by the way, I don't know if you saw the tweet I put out the other day about the insane survey email cluster yeah. F that I got. Um, there is, you know, forget about the on-field stuff. There is so much off-the-field uh, problems uh, going on uh, that I think are directly tied to how he chose to manage that place. Uh, this may be some of the best news we get if they can get a fresh... Uh, new face and different uh, uh, set of uh, way to manage things that would be a huge win for everybody. Yeah, given all those glass door reports, I think it's good. Yeah, I, the the when I opened my email the other day and I had five emails that I thought were exactly the same and they were titled the same, the body of the email was the same. The only difference was the link would take you to a different survey and none of the surveys of the five applied to me. Because I didn't live in the cities they were trying to survey. And my biggest beef yeah. out of that was they know where I live. It's on file in the, all of the data they have about me and you and everybody else that's a member of U.S. soccer. They have all that information. Like it was the sloppiest execution of a survey I could po- I've ever seen. Uh, and it just it was reflective of so many problems that organization yeah. has. I just deleted them all. Well, you know, I'm see, I'm fascinated by that stuff, and I love to see how companies operate and do research. And it's just it, it, it literally, it was almost as if they asked a college intern to build surveys on this stuff, and they just let some kid do it. Actually, a college intern probably would have done it. Probably would have done it right. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that you and Dan have talked about that I think uh, to this day is the most fascinating story related to FC Dallas is this ongoing trouble the team seems to be getting into in terms of signing or retaining some of its best young talent. And I don't know if this happened after the last podcast or not, but John, the news that Jonathan Gomez uh, put up on Instagram stating that he is leaving the club is in my opinion, at least how I see it, that's a pretty big deal. That is a big deal. It was after the last pod, yeah. Um, he is, uh, for my mind, he he's the player uh, in the top two brackets, 17s and 19s. He was the player that was most likely to be straight homegrown signing to FC Dallas level player, like ready for MLS inside of like a year and a half, and he's only a U17 because he already he started starting for North Texas at 16 years old, you know, so... Um, this is a big loss. He's a dual international for both Mexico and the United States. Um, and he is now that he's left, I'm okay saying, I'm comfortable saying that he's one of the three players that is, uh, uh, three of the, he's one of the six players that's turned down a North Texas contract. And he's one of three of those six that have now left. So, um, there's definitely a problem. There's definitely something FC Dallas needs to do to solve it. You know, are we going to be sitting here in three years, watching Jonathan Gomez like we watched Mr. McKinney, I think there's a pretty good chance. So 
uh, he's about as good as it gets coming out of the academy, and, and they've missed him now. So, I mean, you know, it's salvageable. They still have his rights. I mean, they could always solve it, you know, but he's actively out there looking for a team, I know for a fact. Well, wait. And, um, well, let's be very clear about something, because I think yeah. this is the part that I don't want to be vague about. The reason why he's not coming, he's, not, he, he's, he's going out looking for something else is because the deal that they put on the table, the contract they offered him was meager and disappointing to him and his family, correct? Well, I don't know 100% that that's true. I mean, I haven't gotten them to talk to me on the record about why he's leaving. I can only tell you what people say, which is that, um, you know, that whatever negotiations between him and North Texas wasn't good enough. Um, you know, I, I have heard that there was, it wasn't just money, you know, and, and I don't know enough more. I don't know enough that I can officially say more than that. Um, it, it, do, you, do, do you feel like there are players in this that are getting, um, Again, we all have to remember the Hunts delayed starting a USL team for a long time due to the right. costs associated and the budget issues that would come out of that because they'd have to start now paying a whole bunch of new set of players. And now they have a USL team, and they seem to be struggling to get these kids to sign to play with that team. Is there a disconnect with the kids and their families in their particular uh, ambitions and saying, well, we don't we, we think we're better than North Texas. We should be homegrowns like Paxton or Thomas Roberts. I, yes. Is that part of the disconnect? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's for sure part of the disconnect. You know, I, any, any kid that's as good as these kids are thinks about his career as like everything I do from here on is my stepping stones till I'm playing at Barcelona with Messi. You know what I mean? So it's like they don't they don't look at FC Dallas as the end-all, beat-all, and they definitely don't look at North Texas as the end-all, beat-all. Um, in Jonathan Gomez's case, he's only 16, so he can't go 17 now. So he can't sign with anybody anyway. And for some of these kids, particularly the ones that are not 18 yet, length is important, length of these contracts, because they want to be completely free at 18 in case Barcelona calls, <laughs> right? So, I mean, they're not gonna, but, you know, they want to be free for that anyway. So um, sometimes it's length, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's just... I'm not playing for North Texas. I'm only playing for FC Dallas. You know, I'm, I'm better than USL one. You know, it just depends on the guy and it depends on the kid. And I can't tell you about Jonathan specifically, other than the fact that you're talking about a guy who is in demand, both from the United States and from Mexico. That's not chump change. That's a legit high level dude. And you got to pay him. So, right. So yeah. if, if, if Dan and Clark came to Jonathan Gomez and said, Hey, here is, a um, $100,000 a year deal versus, you know, and, and, and we all know, I mean, we, we, we kind of run in these circles. The numbers that we are hearing from people that are uh, either directly involved, indirectly involved, whatever, friends of family, we're getting some pretty consistent messages on the amounts of money they are offering these kids. And it's, yeah. it's frighteningly low compared to what they can make going getting a part-time job at McDonald's and or, uh, you know, getting a college scholarship for four years in Tanner yeah, Tessman's case as example. Right. The, the, the lowest I've heard is $1,000 a month um, for North Texas, but that's not that's not like that's not big time academy guys. The academy guys I've heard anywhere from 20K to the very highest guy getting something like 40, 45 offered. Compare that to the homegrown contracts, which are anywhere from 80-ish, 75, 80-ish up to like 100, 120 depending on how old they are and how big, big a star they are. So you can easily see why. And I don't know what Gomez got offered. I just know that he got an offer. Um, you can easily see why 
you know, why would I take that, right? When this other guy, you know, look at Dante Seeley, who doesn't even play for North Texas last year, and yet he's on, I don't have it in front of me, but he's on 100 or whatever. So, I mean, granted, Dante Seeley is a generational talent that's going to be, the odds of him playing for SC Dallas are small. He's going to be gone like Chris Richards. But, um, you know, you can easily see how there's a problem that has to be solved. I'm not blaming FC Dallas. It's just a problem that has to be solved. They have to figure out how to get through this. Well, it's a business. Kids it, to take. It, yeah. yeah, it's a business decision, right? And clearly, yeah. if it's a player they want to keep, they'll figure out a way to give him enough money to stay, whether it's a, a whether it's a homegrown deal or it's right. a North Texas deal. Um, you know, is Jonathan Gomez going to go out and get a I don't know hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year deal to go play in Mexico? Um, or is, is that enough money to get him to sign a North Texas deal? I mean, th- yeah. there is a solution to the problem, and the solution to the problem probably starts with the Hunts, um, you, know, uh, you know, making decisions on this kid is important, we need to keep him. Is the return on investment now worth keeping him around? Again, yeah. I don't like spending other people's money is a lot of fun, but we, <laughs> and we all love to do that. But at the end of the day, remember this is a club that will probably struggle to get a thousand, two thousand people to show up for games. This is not a money making venture, and yes. and the and the way that the hunts operate their business is not a big fan of losing and <laughs> losing yeah. lines of revenue, and so that's kind of the reason why these kids are getting deals that uh, you know. They get the, you know, I can just see Clark sliding that piece of paper across the, <laughs> across the table, and the and the dad opens it up and just is yeah. like, "What? Are you kidding yeah, me?" Well, that, there's part of that too. Of course, the Hunts have a budget. Like they work on budgets. That's how they work. But part of that too is like if you're a kid, who from the age of 12 has been have been fed this, FC Dallas family, we're all together, one team, blah blah blah. Oh, you're 18. Here's your offer, 20 grand. Wait, what? So you can see how that could be like a slap in the face kind of wake up call for a kid too, you know. So it's a complicated issue, and they're gonna. They're, you can just imagine that conversation, right? Slide yeah. that paper across the table, open up. What the hell is this? That's USL one money. That's that's what players in USL one get paid. Yeah, but I'm an FC Dallas player. Yeah, but we're paying you to play in USL one and prove yourself that you're an FC Dallas. Exactly. Okay, but that was my question. Are those numbers, that $20,000 to $44,000 number, let's just use that as a solid. We'll throw the $1,000 a month thing out the window, okay? Because that's like the... that's the pros. Right. Um, Is that commiserate with what other teams in USL1 are paying their players? Do we know this? Yeah. I've heard 25 to 40 grand is pretty standard. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, see, the other side of the coin for the hunts too, is they have to turn on this uh, revenue stream of selling, right? The, a lot of North Texas and a lot of FC Dallas is about this selling club, right? Well, that's not so far, not happening a lot other than Chris Richards. So they got to get somebody rolling too. They got to get, I don't know, Thomas. They got to get or Thomas Roberts. They got to get Dante Celia. They got to get Brian Reynolds, somebody. They got to start selling some of these guys, you know, in order to bring in more academy guys. So that's kind of, it's a whole pipeline and a whole treadmill that's not working yet. Uh, it kind of plays into that pyramid, you know, they show like, oh, uh, you know, you can play for a youth or an affiliate, go to the academy, go up to 18s, 19s, then FC Dallas. Oh, wait, we're going to, we're going to say FC Dallas, then maybe Bayern Munich. But wait, we're going to stick a step in just underneath FC Dallas, which is USL League One. So now your expectations and that career path is, has deviated a little bit that you maybe 
you know, in the quote-unquote doldrums of USL League One for a couple of years while you wait to see if you get the opportunity in MLS. Yeah, one of the ways to look at it is, you know, you can see the disconnect from the kids' perspective is if you say, I'm going to sign with Bayern Munich. Well, then they assign you to, you do, you sign your contract. Well, they've assigned you to your U23s or your U19s. You're still getting paid. You're still a professional playing for Bayern Munich. So they look at, they don't see that with North Texas because you can't sign with, quote, FC Dallas. You sign a North Texas contract. So to them, that's different. You see what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Until we have some sort of rules in MLS that says I can sign 40 18-year-olds to FC Dallas professional contracts, but it's for the 19 team or North Texas. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like until they solve that riddle too with the league, you know, and that may take USL discussion with MLS, with U.S. soccer. So it's very complicated, and you can see how kids are not getting it yet, and, and that helps sticky the whole situation all right and you may have mentioned this uh, when we were in the cba discussion and i just missed it because i was uh i don't know uh did it was there any particular change that will allow a club like dallas who were really into homegrowns to have more homegrown signings than they have available to them today uh not specifically other than this uh the three players under 23 that you get a reduced budget charge for hmm. you know that's a, that if that's makes it easier to sign a really high priced, I mean, for Dallas, that would be Paxton and Hayes and Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, you could get those bigger contracts there for young guys and bring them way down. So, um, you still only have 30 slots though. That didn't change that. I, at least that not that they've announced. So within those 30 slots, that's still all you got. So it's no. kind of funny because the premier league actually has a perfect solution to it. You know, they have the whole 25 man roster, but on anyone under the age of 21 doesn't actually account against it. You know, that would, if they did something like that, it would give FC Dallas the ability to hand out FC Dallas homegrown contracts. Uh, yeah, 20 you know, of them. Whatever else. <laughs> well, yeah, but well, that's at the, the same time, is you've that, got your, but, your roster and then you've got your 21 year olds that you can call upon. And isn't that the construct of the whole Premier League 2 league? Uh, good question. I mean, they. Uh, I think they can assign them to different teams. Like they could play on under twenty three team. They could play on the reserve two league. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- these gigantic European clubs have multiple levels of teams that they that they employ, and they have kids signed all the way down to when they're eighteen. You know, they got sixty kids signed. You know, it's. I mean, every year you see a, a team like Manchester United waves twenty dudes every year. Yeah, look, at the, end of, two of them, at the end of know. the day, it's still business, and it's a cold business. And the reality is, is these kids get into the system, um, and it's up to them to prove their value and worth yeah. to the club to sign them for whatever the deal is, whether it's a homegrown deal. And and to be fair to the Hunts and to, and to Lucci, they only have so many homegrown things they can pass out, right? And that's going to yeah, have to be the fun. What I'm worried about is... And what I where I can't figure out how this works as a business model is if they can't get this, I don't know what tier, let's call it a tier two player to sign these North Texas deals. How are they going to field a North Texas team that's worth a crap if it's not if it's essentially just made up of the two or three kids they were able to get to stick around, plus a bunch of U19s that they call up from the academy team? Well, basically, yeah, that's it. I mean, and FC Dallas. So, has discovered that like North Texas, like between so what was MLS the point guys, of, they're going to so send down. The, I know, but so if that's if that ends up being the case, what was the point of starting a USL team? Well, the, the, that's what 
the point was to get guys that were um, not ready for MLS and play them there. You know, they're getting the tier three guys and they have the home runs that actually fit on MLS roster. The ones they're missing are the guys that are right there borderline that they're not getting. Tanner Tessman, Jonathan Gomez, who's, you know, there's a little gap they're missing is all. So it's like, because they, they're getting the next guys down, the Emmanuel Almaguer's and the Javon Reyes are signing. You know, those guys are good and they're going to develop, you know, and hopefully become and see if you can turn them into something. But yeah, I guess it's a gap. There's a problem. They have to fix it. Hmm. It's like, but you know that they can compete in MLS. I mean, in, in USL one, just with the guys they send down and just with academy guys and a couple of these mid tier guys sprinkled in is more than good enough to be at the top of USL one every year. You know that league's not as good as we had hoped it would. Well, be or so unless far. other teams start taking it more seriously, it could change. It could change. More MLS teams in there will help. You know. Yeah. You'll get more guys coming down, but. Um, it's not about winning that league, though. It's about developing your MLS French players and developing your guys that you hopefully can compress, but progress based, on. It's got to solve this gap. But based on a tweet that I swear I saw you post earlier, there's essentially only four players from last season's championship yeah. North Texas team returning, which is Romero, uh, David Rodriguez, uh, Imanol, and, Alv- and uh, Alvarez. Al- Alvarez, yeah. Alvarez, I'm keeper. sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've 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 cut some dudes. They waved some dudes. I'm expecting both Arturo Rodriguez and Ronaldo Damas to be loaned. Nothing's official, but that's what I'm expecting. And they already loaned out Breck Evans, which means four guys, not including the academy, are coming back. So they've already signed three loans. They're going to have more guys coming down from MLS. So they're going to have to sign another eight eight or nine guys from somewhere. They're going to have to find some. So. Okay. And I know this is typically Dan's area of expertise, but Buzz, you were the one that actually uh, uh, got some insight on this. We we saw some information that FC Dallas women was no longer uh, going to happen. And, uh, yes. That, uh, so what's the story on that now? Well, the U, uh, WPSL put out their list of teams and their conferences for the year, and FC Dallas wasn't in it. And we checked with a couple of different people. It was over the weekend. We checked with a couple of people and they all said they're gone. They're done. So on Monday, we finally got somebody from FC Dallas to answer. And they said, uh, and, and Dan can follow this up. They said, basically, we don't ever make that decision until later on, like March or so as we, cause they use a team that's mostly like an MPSL team or a USL two team of college girls that come back. So they have to kind of figure out who they can have. And then they kind of figure out what league we can go into. That's what they claim. That's what they say, and I'll take them at their word on that. Um, so it's got to be determined whether they're going to field or team or not. They're still undecided. There is a placeholder Dallas under-23 team listed in the standings that could be FCD maybe, or maybe it's somebody else. I'm not really sure. It's kind of uh, – FCD claims that it's not over yet. They might still field somebody. They just haven't decided. So we'll see what actually happens. So they don't leave that decision until late every year um i'm sure that the uh the stuff you 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 were told was uh preceded by people in the office saying wait we have a what (laughs) yeah yeah it's entirely possible that no people had to go um, find out we had a team yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean typically the makeup of the team is they're doing trials sometime around mm, actually yeah february march yeah um most of the team's made up of uh, girls DA and ECNL players. Uh, if you actually look at the registered roster, it's enormous because, like you say, there are college players returning. There are players that they recruit. Uh, you know, we've seen some some really top players. Yaya Cordner, um, 
Victoria Swift, a couple other Trinidad players, some some Ghanaian players, Mexican national team players. Wait, hold on a second. If there's ever a shot in the world that Andy has a daughter out of wedlock that's Trinidadian, I need to know this. Did you say there's a, a Trinidadian player last name Swift? Victoria Swift. She was the captain of the Trinidad and Tobago National League, oh. and she was captain of FC Dallas. I think I just burned a segment for Saturday's show. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, he would have, he would have had to have done that at a very young age. Uh, she's uh, she's in her thirties. Um, Andy is quite the Lothario. Uh, you know. <laughs> Those match commissioners, they get around. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a huge roster, and it's a little bit strange. Uh, did a little bit of uh, <laughs> of web digging, and that uh, Dallas Fort Worth under twenty three team is a placeholder. It definitely replaced uh, the FC Dallas uh, page a couple of a few days back. Um, I just spoke to a couple of people who who are, who are close to the situation, and there was it varied from. Honestly, there hasn't been a discussion. Nobody really knows if anything's going to happen to... There's probably going to be a token effort of putting a small team together and playing a handful of friendlies and calling it hmm. a day. Um, it's it's a real shame because, you know, Dan Hunt has talked about um, having an NWSL team. He also didn't... I remember doing an interview with him a couple of years ago when uh, Houston Dash came to play Seattle at Toyota Stadium after the hurricane. And um, said, yeah, this is the first time an NWSL team has played here. I was like, no, it's not. Houston Dash have played here a couple of times against your own team. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, and Tigress just played against them like three weeks ago. No, no, this is definitely the first time. I was like, no. Yeah, uh, look, (laughs) this is not unique. In fact, uh, there's a litany of articles that you can read online about how bad Liverpool treats their women's team. Um, and just what, it, you know, it, it's the, it's, you know, the biggest club in Europe has absolutely the worst reputation and how it deals, uh, the fact that they even have a women's team is kind of surprising considering how poorly they treat them. So, uh, this isn't necessarily unique and it, maybe it would be better off that they just didn't have a women's team if they're not going to back it and support it, uh, as we all probably believe they should. It's, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of funny cause the women's team does, does make money for, for, for FC Dallas overall because it's a recruiting tool to get girls into the youth program. They're all paying, you know, three, four grand each a season. Yeah. Um, it, it's just one that they, they haven't used effectively. Well, um, we are now well over uh, an hour and a half of uh, soccer talking, Woo! and I am proud that at least 30% of that was kit talk. It's good stuff, though. It's good talk, though. Good conversations. All right. Mumble. Anything else you guys want to throw in before I shut this mother down? Uh, only that Dante Sealy is back from his trial or whatever that was at PSV. And Nico Carrera, who's the USU 17 that plays for FC Dallas 19s, is on uh, training trial at uh, FC Nuremberg. So oh, that's wow. It. Good for them. There you go. Good for Are them. we anticipating that Sealy's getting sold? Is that kind of the, I mean, or, or do we think he stays? Well, I've always anticipated that the, that he would get sold, uh, and I figured the odds were always higher that he would never play for Dallas than he will. 
So I, I thought this was it, that it was coming, but now he's back. So he's got um, if he's on the roster this year, he will make his, his MLS debut this year because that kid is on fire and he's ready. All right. And then we should note that, that what makes him unique is his passport situation. Yes, he has a TNT passport, um, which through some bizarre agreement through Spain uh, means that he can <laughs> sign before he's 18 with a team in Europe. That's what people have told me. Now I'm not a immigration expert. I'm just telling you that most people have told me that this is the case. So that's why, even though he's not 18 yet, you see him going on these things with a chance to have something happen. So uh, we'll see what happens. And I think it's very likely that it is going to happen, but if he does stay, expect to actually see him this year. All right. Excellent. Uh, well over an hour and a half, uh, all this stuff happened and we tried to cram all of it in. Uh, excellent discussion today, guys. This was a lot of fun. Dan, thank you very much. I uh, hope you have a good week in front of you. Yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. I can't guarantee the next hour. <laughs> He's also a, a bright, shiny, cheery cloud of fun. And Buzz, thank you, man. I appreciate your your insight your uh, and thoughts and expertise. You're, real, you're welcome. And real quickly, let me just say that since going independent, uh, I'm really happy with the way the traffic is building and the and the, tr- and the traffic's coming up as we move in towards the season. Things are going well. If you like what we do, support us at patreon.com slash third degree. All right. Thank you, FC Dallas fans. We uh, think you're the best, and we will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Freakin' Roberts. Thomas Freakin' Roberts.